0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's interview is with Rosie Sherry, the founder of Ministry of Testing, the world's largest network of software testing professionals. She built that community from the ground up, up to nine conferences being hosted every year and $1.5 million in revenue. And then decided to leave. She had lost interest in the in the topic and decided that it's best that she hand off the keys to a new CEO. For any of you who has ever had to leave your community that's still engaged, still thriving, you know how hard that can be. And we, we talked through her experience going through that. And today she's building community at Indie Hackers. We talk all about how to create a unique identity for your communities. We talk about the the hot topic of do you build or buy? Do you build community software or do you buy out of the box community software or do you turn to the big social networks like Facebook and Slack to host your community lots of really good topics in this one you're going to love it let's dive in Rosie Sherry welcome to the show thanks David thanks for having me well, while we kick off with just sharing a bit about your story i think a lot of folks know the work you're doing with indie hackers but you've been a community builder for a long time and like many of us it sounds like you Kind of fell into a community in your early days without necessarily meaning to, so how did you arrive at the point where you're building community for hackers and what's your community journey?
1: Well, I guess I'll start going back quite a few years now, which makes makes me feel a little bit old but i I started my career in tech as a software tester um, and that was around the year two thousand um along the way if, like going in like a few years after that there was like the web 2.0 bubble um, and that was quite exciting at the time and that kind of kind of like piqued my interest and I started going to meetups um, and it was probably the meetups at first kind of triggered something in me that um, I didn't really realize kind of think of it like a community but I was like oh this is interesting this is fun i'm meeting some really good people at, at these these events uh they
0: took what were the meetups
1: uh mostly tech kind of related mm-hmm. kind of web designy kind of stuff right they were local to me in brighton in the uk there, there were a couple a couple of uh now quite famous people like the, the people from uh, clear left um andy budd and um that that kind of group, they were doing some interesting things, and they put on a local web conference as well. And that was like my first experience of a tech conference. And then after that, I kind of realised that I could do them myself. And I came across someone doing a girl geek dinner uh, in London, and I was like, oh, I could do that in Brighton. So I tried that out, and that was amazing. It was like for for a good two years, it was like fully packed out. Um, as soon as I would announce that people would just like
0: sign up immediately um, so you started organizing the the girl geek dinners yeah
1: and that that was a real confidence boost because i 'm just I was just like you know a, a total like nobody didn 't know what I was doing didn 't really know anyone locally um, to begin with, and it was it was kind of put me at the center of this little universe, and I was like, oh, I kind of like this, I want to do more of it yeah, so i I continued after that I did a co-working space and I did that for a couple of years
0: you started a co-working space
1: yeah I started a co workers or co-started a co-working space and that was amazing I had so much fun again uh, building up on my kind of previous people that I knew um, I, I put on so many events so many gatherings and kind of brought people into this space um, so like lots of people at the time this, this is like going back to uh 2008
0: 2010 roughly oh wow so those are early co-working days like co-working was still not really a thing at that point
1: yeah it wasn't it was it's you know not many spaces Uh, especially in the uk there weren't many there was maybe one other starting up in brighton and um but yeah it was totally different like in Brighton now, there's just like probably like 20. It's, it, yeah. it's nuts. But you know, at the time it was just like, you know, there was nothing there. And I love the idea of co-working and like co-working led me down the whole path of community and what is community and people who were talking about. Uh, co-working were very much uh, evangelists of community. Um, Alex Hillman, as an example, I've, of course, I've like followed him since. You know, we've kind of been in touch since since those
0: days. Uh, right t- India Hall, one of the original uh, yeah co-working spaces. Yeah,
1: um, I went there once. He 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 put on a, a conference, a Bacon Biz, a few times, and I went to a couple of those mm-hmm. in Philadelphia.
0: I bet you, were you connected with Tony Bacigalupo at New York City as well?
1: Not really, um, only more recently. Um,
0: yeah, it was more, uh, he's amazing. Yeah,
1: he's, 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 you know, he's doing great stuff as well.
0: That was my first co-working experience in New York City. Uh, and, and I think New York City started around that same time. It was like 2008, 2009-ish. Yeah. Um, and it was like revolutionary at the time.
1: Yeah, Um. Tara Hunt was someone who I was more in, in touch with at the time. So uh, I think, like, yeah. you know, and I'm still in touch with her today, which is which is kind of cool. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, that, that co-working experience was uh, a real confidence boost, but it, it was tough and, like, I stopped doing it just because the uh, business re- relationship was sour. So I just decided to leave. I thought it would be easy just to kind of back off and leave.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that was kind of tough, but... I think it was for, for the best in the end, uh, and then also what was you know because when I when I do something I I normally have like a few things spinning at the same time, so whilst I was doing the co-working stuff I was still like seeing myself like as a software tester I was kind of like doing contracting and freelance freelance work around that, and I because like I I got all into what community was and um, kind of Ning launched around that time. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Um, (laughs) What can I create a community on? Um, And I had already kind of gained some traction in in the software testing world. It was a very small world. um, And I wasn't very happy with what was existing there at the time. It was all very, very corporately. And there's no events. All events were like uh, crazy, like £2,000. Fees to get in and you're expected to wear suits or formal stuff. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to even, you know, consider doing that. Um, So I just kind of started doing stuff for software testers and I I picked up Ning, I picked up a name, Software Testing Club, and I just started kind of seeding it with, um, with conversations. I knew a few people, I invited them in and then it was just like fast forward like three you know 3 years it was like a few i can't even remember the numbers now but it was growing steadily and people enjoyed it and i was very much taking a, a, a different kind of web 2.0 lighthearted friendly way of building a community and that just seemed to kind of resonate with testers who just didn't have any of that so yeah and then software T- testing club after I did that for, so that I started that in 2007 and then come 2010, I was like, I'm a bit tired of doing this. I'm not making any money. I, th- I believe it can make money. So I, I made a promise to myself that I was going to, it had to make money. I was going to stop doing it. Um, so I set up a company, uh, like a formal company around it. And I just started doing what I thought the community needed, which was based around events and training. And that was kind of when ministry of testing started. Um, so we ended up doing a, like a conference in our first year. It was still quite small. It had like sixty, seventy people. But it was it was amazing because say like all these people that had been in touch over the past three years, they all of a sudden got in a room and it was like they knew each other. So it, was like it had that it had a, like such an amazing vibe yeah. that I never expected. And you know, that kind of. That, that that was basically you know the start the start of uh you know how I many tests testing kind of every year grow growing a bit more and more. Right. And me me trying to like explore with with ideas of how can I make a community make money. Yeah. And the events was caught it um it took me like a good two, three, two or three years after that point to kind of start making like an uh I guess Uh, respectable income Um, but then after I did it for I think it was like in my fourth year of doing events then people in other parts of the world and other parts of the UK started asking for their events in their city or their country and that's how we ended up doing conferences in (laughs) it's a bit of a long list in Manchester in Dublin in the Netherlands, in Germany, in wow. Philadelphia, in New York, in San Francisco, in Australia, in New Zealand.
0: You're doing conferences in all of these places. Yeah. That's like That's incredible. Yeah. You were you organizing all those events or did the community self organize?
1: Uh the community never self organizes. Um it was it was no No. <laughs> well what what I ended up doing was working with the pe- people who were interested in it. And bringing it to their country, and I would kind of partner up with with one, usually one person, to bring it to their local city. Because yeah. the idea of trying to hunt down venues in cities that we we had no idea about uh, just seems stupid to me. So it's like these people want to bring it to their local city, so we'll you know work with them with their knowledge, um, and try to find a good venue and and a good way to host host the events. Um, That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Your story with the Ministry of Testing sounds a lot like our story with CMX um, and, you know, kind of like have been building that community for a long time, more passively, creating a lot of content, building a reputation, and then finally turned it into a real business and and launched CMX Summit, our first event. Um, had an incredible response to that first event because it was a group of people that uh, weren't being brought together in that kind of space ever before. And similar to you, like other communities felt very corporate. Um, and CMX is very much like laid back and fun, uh, very positive. Um, and so it kind of grew from there. You know, so we we hosted um, at our peak. I mean, at the most of, most conferences we ever hosted in a year was were three. We did two in San Francisco, and one in New York. We were doing two every year for a while and then switched to just one. I have no idea how you were doing. I think you were doing nine a year, is that right?
1: I I think in our biggest year, we probably did nine.
0: That's unbelievable. I I wouldn't recommend Um, it, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I would not recommend it either. I wouldn't recommend two, but you know, uh, we're gluttons for punishment. So yeah, and I think like our revenue mostly came from those events as well, though, you know, I can't say that we ever fully figured out how to really build a sustainable business. Around CMX, like, we got to a point where we were able to hire three or four full-time people, but, like, it did always kind of feel like we we're keeping our heads above water and just trying to survive. We would mix in consulting and training and other things to bring in more revenue. Um, and the conferences, you know, they're always profitable, but, you know, not enough to, you know, pay full-time salaries and, you know, continue to run the business. What worked for you? Was all the monetization coming from those events? for ministry of testing
1: uh initially it, well it was, it was kind of th- three three like uh, areas that we ended up exploring th- there was a point before like when when it was mostly just me running it um i was doing like one event a year and that was brighton and that was manageable for me i would um and that, you know, in hindsight, sometimes I think, well, I should have just left it at that, at one event a year, and it would have been a much more <laughs> sinful life. It was much more pro- profitable, to be honest, just doing one event. Um, right. And just, pay, you know, worrying about my own income rather than many people's. Right. At, at, at that point, like in my first three or four years of doing it, I, I made a fair chunk of money from like marketing stuff um and i always tried to do it very kind of respectfully so like right um our events never had like expo booths or you know exhibition halls or anything like that we always kind of rejected that and we always struggled obviously because you know so like we wanted companies to sponsor us but very few would actually sponsor us because they all wanted booths and we were like right. you know pretty just uh, uh we, we we wouldn't budge on that Um, so you know so from a business perspective that's hard but um, marketing wise I I, I ran a newsletter Um, I had started it uh, I can't remember how many years ago Um, but after doing like a weekly curated newsletter I managed to fill up advertising on on it every single week and at one point I had it uh, booked out for like the whole year just with companies advertising and it wasn't like necessarily like each slot was a huge amount of money, but I started like charging like two hundred and fifty quid for a slot. Um, and we'd only mm-hmm. do like one slot, and then after the f- after a year or two, it was up to five hundred pounds per issue. Mm. Um, and if you just add that like up over the year, that ends up being quite a chunk of money, especially as As an individual, so I I kind of looked for opportunities like that to advertise. We we did some advertising on the website, um, and just kind of did bulk bulk deals. We occasionally did email blasts, but we really didn't want to do them. But we did you know a very small amount. Um,
0: Like dedicated emails. Yeah.
1: uh, For. Yeah, I hate doing those
0: (laughs) when they're sponsored.
1: Yeah. And that ended up being like a third of our income at that point, like four years in. It was like, okay, you know, if if my income, the income at that time was like three or four hundred K, it was like, I remember it kind of being roughly like a hundred K worth of money from just advertising stuff or marketing stuff.
0: And the business got up to over a million dollars annually. Is that right? Well, if it hadn't been for
1: COVID, we would... I'm not sure what it's at now, but we'd have prob- probably hit 1.5 million. Um, okay. But it's, pro- it's probably going to go down now, unfortunately.
0: Right. Well, event. <laughs> yeah. tough events. Tough yeah, these it's, days. It's,
1: it's not a great place to be. But my daughter's five. So five years ago, we started building out a platform to to host... Sorry, I just remember dates um, according to my my children's ages. So <laughs> 2015, we started building out a platform for our content, and we started kind of creating a, a, a basically a learning platform with a membership model. Um, and the seeds of that was all the talks from all our conferences. We had recorded every one of them since day one. And then, and then we kind of hosted them on this platform and we used that as kind of like a membership model. And then o- over time, we've obviously been adding all the talks that we've ever done, um, but there's some courses there as well. Um, Got so
0: it. Cool. That. So the re- revenue is kind of a combination of event tickets, advertising, and these kinds of memberships and trainings. Yeah. Got it. And so, so you worked on Ministry of Testing for for several years. Uh, where does your story go from there?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think after a while, I kind of, um, I think sometimes you have to kind of realize that community communities outgrow you, mm-hmm. and that's what I felt. I felt like it wasn't right for me, and I've struggled to, to like pinpoint it exactly. It's like, why is it not for me? Is like, you know, people look at this community, and they'd be like, oh, it's, you know, everybody's so lovely, it's, you know, done so much for me, why would you want to leave? Mm. And I just struggle to to explain it, but the, the the best best thing I can say is that I outgrew it. I outgrew testing. I got a bit bored of testing. Mm-hmm. I was I was kind of lacking inspiration mm. um, for you know to move it forward. I felt like I was getting a bit out of touch with testing. I wasn't. It had been a long time since I had done any testing, and uh, a lot of the conversations I was starting to like not really understand properly as, as the testing world was mo- moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. and i wasn 't interested in in learning about it either i was like, 't you know i just didn 't want to do it so um and then in in addition to that um the events like going <laughs> to all these locations and I was just like i can 't i can 't run a company i can 't i can't i can 't do this if there 's events across the whole world i don 't want to travel i 'm not interested in traveling Right. it 's exhausting i 've got kids at home um i 'm just not you know, it's it doesn't it's, just doesn't fill me with joy, um, so I I kind of decided that I have to do something about this. Um, so along along the way, I found someone who who was up for taking on the challenge um, of of leading it and taking over as CEO, um, and he actually did. Uh, he, he's from the UK, and we did events together in Manchester, Um so we co organized events. So we got on well, we, I, I knew, you know, like he, he was a good guy, he's, you know, we, we just managed to work together and it, it gave me the confidence that, he, you know, he was up for the challenge of leading it, I didn't want to lead it, so I kind of, over time, taught him everything I knew and it kind of became like a bit of a thing, like he would come to me and say, what would Rosie do in this situation, so that, <laughs> that's like how I handed it over to him. Right. Um, over, over the course of like two years, um, we did that.
0: Oh wow! Well. So you really took your time in that transition. It wasn't like, "All right, I'm bored. I'm out." Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. So, say like, you know, I think I think a lot of people might not see it from that perspective. So, like actually, taking my time doing that was really tough because there were times where, like, that I just you know kind of wanted to move on and I wanted to do other stuff, but I felt like I couldn't. Right.
0: So that that was tough from my perspective. How did the um, community respond?
1: They were okay. I think lo- lots of people end up not saying a lot, but you know, I've I've you know, people seem to understand, and they see, they they seem to appreciate that I, that I did take the time to kind of work with uh, Richard, our CEO, to to hand things over and and kind of do my best to make the right decisions from that from that front. But right. you know, no, no one's kind of like said to me, oh, you, you should have stayed or how dare you leave or anything like that. You know, so I don't think you can really say
0: that. Um, it's pretty unempathetic yeah, to tell you that you should just keep suffering through this and leading this community. <laughs> exactly. That you no longer are that interested in. How, how did you communicate it with the community? Did you just kind of make an announcement or did you kind of like open up conversations around it?
1: Yeah, I was, I was worried at the time. Um, I think at the, t- at the time, we, I just like, every month that passed by, I just like pointed people towards Richard, who's the, the guy who's taking over. And, and I think over time, people saw more and more of that happening. And then we were just like, one day I was like, all right, let's just announce it. We, you know, let's just announce it to the community that you're going to be the CEO or what we call boss boss. Um, everybody used to call me the boss boss, so we had to change our, our names. Um, so I became founder boss, he became boss boss. Got um,
0: yeah, Very official titles. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> which is part, of, you know, it's part of the culture that we have. It's like we're not very, uh, serious about these kind of things. Mm. As in titles, it's like more important to get the job done. So everyone at Ministry of Testing has boss in their title.
0: Everyone who works there, yeah,
1: yeah. So there is like a community's boss, there's a events boss, there's the money boss. Oh, money it.
0: boss is a money boss. a
1: great name for a, a <laughs>
0: accounts person. I want that on my LinkedIn. <laughs> How is the community doing after the transition?
1: I think it's you know, it it was all going well until COVID. It's still it's still going all right. You know, I've got faith that it will be all right. But
0: I think is it still very events heavy versus like the digital space
1: yeah i think i think the challenge, i think it will be all right longer term i think the cha- the, the challenge is now about kind of um, the transition to all online
0: right but you know to be honest, it's the struggle I, we're all dealing with a little bit
1: yeah to be honest i don't i, I just I'm at the point where I just don't get involved anymore so right. I almost don't know what's happening but but mm. the the general direction is that it's all going online it's all becoming uh packaged into like a membership one annual fee membership model mm-hmm. and that's going to be tough to communicate more than anything i think cuz like this big change we've gone from lots of events to one package that there's a lot on offer um and i think the hardest part is to be honest is communicating that it's like everything that they can do to, to, mm. to sign up um, and to, uh, partly support us, but um, also, you know, understand what is on offer and then, you know, also try, trying to make the changes to, to the tech and to the website to make that happen.
0: Yeah, no, we're, we're going through that as well with CMX and, you know, we have our events and trainings and job board and memberships and all these different things that we sell and we're trying to make it more cohesive and um, simplify so it's like, yeah, you could just like pay one annual fee and get access to all these things. But um, it's certainly a challenge. I think like a lot of community founders, community entrepreneurs are kind of thinking through that challenge right now of, you know, how do we really monetize the communities that we're building in a way that's, it's kind of messy, right? A lot of the time it ends up being this hodgepodge of all these different offerings and trainings and products and, and stuff. And everyone kind of is trying to figure out how do I make this really simple? and sustainable and predictable, yeah. right? It's, it's much more predictable if I can just say, great, we have uh, 500 paying members and we want to grow that by, you know, 15% every quarter or something, then, okay, we have like a clear trajectory. Yeah. But when you're managing a bunch of different product lines, um, which is often what happens for community builders, it's very confusing.
1: I think, you know, that's, that's the challenge I have now. And part of me feels bad that they're now in that situation, um, and I'm like not not a part of it so, so, <laughs>
0: you're like peace
1: <laughs> good luck guys uh, uh, so, yeah. yeah. so I, I do I do like have that guilt that I'm not there like dealing with the challenge that they have but you know at the same time it's it's just not not my place to be now and there's not a lot I can yeah. do and I did say when I when I left I always said promised myself that I can't come running in to save the company. I've done, I've kind of mm. done my time and whatever happens, happens and I'll personally be okay with it. Um, but you know, I think it will survive, but it's just like the transition time, uh, you know, just like trying to move everything so quickly is, is a logistical nightmare, you know, and people don't see yeah. that. The, the community don't see that.
0: It's it's a really interesting topic. It's not talked about a lot like saying goodbye to your community or leaving a community, especially one that you founded or helped start. And like I think about that for CMX. Like there is going to be a day in the future where I'm just like, you know, this uh, my interests change or my priorities shift and and like it's time for me to step back. And it's it's going to be so hard because I've attached so much of my identity to the community that I've helped build and, and that I'm a part of.
1: It's, it's so true because um, I, I've been referring to that as like baggage. So I've got, and it's probably the wrong term, but um, simple things like on, on Twitter now, there's certain things I don't want to say because I know like testers will be listening and I just feel like kind of awkward saying certain things now because there's that past, the, the people from my past are watching what I'm doing now I might not mm-hmm. understand, so I, I kind of feel awkward about being as open as I could be, just because I've got that baggage of of, of the community of mm. like you know moving on. Have I truly moved on? And like when when I first started at Indie Hackers, <laughs> you know, was, I was like, do, do I do I update my Twitter uh, bio? Yeah. What what do I do? How do I do it? I'm not sure how to do it. You know, what will people say? And you know, it's, it's you know it's stupid. Um,
0: even, I don't think
1: it's stupid. It, you know, it is, but it isn't. It's like little things that you kind of end up overthinking yeah. that, that actually don't really matter, but they, they kind of, at least in my head, they go around in circles. And I'm like, you know, what do I say? You know.
0: What kind of things are you concerned about saying that you think they would misunderstand?
1: Uh, it's just like things like with indie hackers, it's, it has a culture of being open about making money and stuff. So the, the new things that mm. I'm doing, the new things that I'm trying now, I'm like, how open should I be about this? And uh, mm. you know, it's like, should I, um, you know, what, what, will testers, what will the testers think? That I'm kind of bragging about money and they might not understand that. Um, right. Or, you know, it's like, what will the team think uh, with me bragging about making money and... Um, You know, I still get paid some money from MOT, Ministry of Testing. What will they think? Um, Right. Stuff like that. It's just like, um, you know, it it plays on my mind. So I'm probably not like as forward as I would like to be at this point on on Twitter. I'm not as as brave as I I wish I was sometimes. Um,
0: Well, you have great tweets. (laughs) So whatever you're doing is working.
1: Well, you know, a a friend, one of my friends, uh, one of my tester friends, because I have like in the past two or three months, I've kind of like opened up a bit more. And one of my tester friends um, said to me, "Say like, I don't know who this person is, but I like who she is. I don't know where she's come <laughs> from, but you know, he he could see he could see me coming out of my shell in a way that I hadn't yeah. hadn't managed to before, and, and that was kind of nice to to hear and, and just to appreciate. You know, it's like some people do notice."
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, if a community truly is a community, like a healthy, positive one, then like they've seen you grow and they've seen you evolve as a leader and they've seen your voice change and they should want what's best for you, you know, as someone who spent so many years giving and contributing to that community. And um, that's what what we hope for, right? Like if people are really going to call out someone for like trying to better themselves and improve themselves, then you know, were they really invested in the community or, you know, did they have other motivations? But like, I, I 100% relate to what you're, you're sharing. And, and I have felt that in the past too, there's almost like for community builders, I think across the board, there's almost this like hesitation a little bit to talk too much about like money, um, or this fear of coming across as exploitative of like, community needs to be this like completely pure thing and and if someone's making money on it then it's like are you exploiting community i've been thinking about this topic a lot because i've been asking for feedback on on the book i'm working on which like the working title is the business of belonging so really trying to like tackle head-on this kind of contrast of belonging and community and business and profit.
1: Yeah, it's it's,
0: and it's tough. It's a it's a tough balance. It's a
1: really tough balance, and I pay I, I pay a lot of attention to kind of indie hacker type people who are trying to do community type stuff or try, trying to build their income from their audience, um, or trying to build like products or um, I guess info info products as well. Um, and and it's definitely interesting that there's there's I don't know what the right right way is to say it, but some of it's almost cult-like followings, and that makes me feel a bit uncomfortable, even though like, mm-hmm. they are kind of communities, but th- they reach a point where it's like more about the founder than it is about the community. Um, right. And those kind of communities can exist. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, I think people have to be very careful about that and about... Building a community that relies on a single person is is kind of dangerous as as a business model as well, like everything relying on one person is dangerous for the pressure that it creates, or the real meaning of the community or the real vision of the community is it based around that one person or is it based around the people that support it but you know at the end of the day, as long as people get value it doesn't it doesn't really matter too much right. But but I know, like, in my heart, it's like, when I build a community, I build it for the people, and I want the people to become better. So I will look for the people to become better in every every way that I can. Um, yeah. And, and that's not how all communities are, but, you know, they're all different. It's not.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I'll readily admit, like, I still think there's, like, too much focus on, on me and the CMX community. I think, like, you know, we've done a lot of work to really make it all about the community and empower leaders and, and really put the spotlight on lots of other people. But, you know, I'll still get the credit for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and I know like Ryan Hoover talks a lot about this with Product Hunt as well. And like, you know, really wanting to kind of distribute um, ownership and the spotlight and make sure that others feel ownership and involved and they're getting credit for the work they're doing. Um, sometimes an audience gathers around an identity and and it's it's like up to that leader i think to be aware of that dynamic and intentionally give more power and spotlight and authority to the community to like kind of extract themselves fr- out of it
1: yeah i mean for, for ministry of testing i refuse to get up on stage um as an example, throughout the whole time I was there, I refused to do any talks. People would ask me to give a talk, and I'd just be like, "No, it's just not, it doesn't feel right to me." Um, Is that why? It was partly why. Um, it was a big, big reason why. I was also just not interested in talking about testing specifically. <laughs> so it was a bit. It was. It yeah. was a bit of both. Um, but then, if I look at where I am now with like indie hackers, I feel more comfortable speaking at the moment. And I'm I'm kinda of coming out of my shell with that. So yeah. obviously Indie Hackers is different. It's not my community but I work there. But I'm I'm more I'm getting more comfortable speaking up and, and kind of creating a voice um f- yeah. for myself, but not not for the purpose of myself, but just because I feel like it's it's important for me to do that for others, for I guess specifically more for other women in tech and things like that, or women in business. Yeah, I want to find more ways to to make impact. Yeah, and and just partly, I'm I'm I think more interested in in indie hacking and in community building than I ever was with testing specifically.
0: Right, so you have more to say.
1: I have more to say, and I feel much more comfortable having a strong opinion about something
0: at the moment. That's great. I, I you know I I don't think it's a bad thing, right? And I, I think. A lot, a lot of the time I find myself really encouraging community professionals to use their voice more. Um, I think a lot, a lot of folks who work in community are very empathetic, are servant leaders. Uh, they, they don't want to be in the spotlight. They don't want to take the attention. They want to, you know, really put it all into the community. I guess like there's a flip side where as, as a profession, as like a career path, it's important in any career path to like build your reputation and advocate for yourself and own your opinions. And, and, you know, that, that's what helps you get more opportunities and helps you grow and helps you get better pay and um, all those kinds of things. And so there's, there's almost like, I think a lot of opportunity, a lot of room for community builders to get more comfortable with talking about money, with talking about, uh, with, with expressing their voice and, and building their own brand, because that's what's going to empower them to to get more responsibility, get more ownership in companies, to build better communities. And I think like if you're coming from it with a default of I genuinely care about people, this is why I do this work, you're not going to be like, you know, you're not, you're not going to be evil about it. You're not going to be overly greedy about it. Like you're always going to have that counterbalance of it. it's people first and I'm going to do what I can to, to make sure that I'm successful financially, career-wise.
1: I, I definitely feel like uh, Ministry of Testing was perhaps too imbalanced away from giving me that something of value. And now I feel like I'm balancing it out better with indie hackers and kind of sticking up more for things that, that I believe in. But, you know, there's, there's no one way, but you know, it's like definitely you say... Like, any way that we can get like more people being passionate about what, what they care for is like, is, is only going to be, have, have a positive effect and how, how we, you know, kind of pull that passion outside of people or get that passion to, to light up um, is, is another question in itself.
0: So I'm, I'm curious to learn more about, I always like kind of like digging into different communities um, and understanding like, what are the details that makes it feel like a home for for the members in that community? like what are the specific things that make it feel very relevant or help people identify with it? And you talked about like a ministry of testing, you know existing communities were very corporate and and you kind of created a new identity. I'm curious like what what were the elements of that identity? What are the smaller kind of, Details that you focused on in order to make people feel like this is a unique space where they belong?
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the things was uh, to, to... Basically, the, the overarching thing that always drove me was to always kind of be creative and fun. Um, so in the early days, we created this kind of uh, e-book that had a set of characters called The Tester Types, and they were kind of like these cartoony type monster type characters. So you'd have like the micro manager or the explorer, or the uh, security guy. I can't even remember now. The robot, which was like the automator. So just like these characters that would kind of within the ebook, it would explain like the the, the characters of a tester related to to, to this car- uh, character. You know, go into detail about that. But th- that was quite early on in the journey, and we kind of like took that and just reused it everywhere we went. And um, I could send you... I wrote something about this on Indie Hackers recently, actually. So, like, as an example, um, along our journey, we did uh, something called the Testing Planet, which was a a natural, physical newspaper for testers. And we created a logo that had... that kind of looked like a... a, I think it was the Times uh, newspaper logo, which had this emblem... Um And in the emblem, these characters were like embedded into in, the logo um
0: that's awesome. This so, is a real physical newspaper, yeah yeah
1: uh <laughs> that's awesome. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work, but it never made any money, but uh you know it created a lot
0: the best things rarely do yeah,
1: lots of lots of fun memories around that um and just like then we took that, and then we would like uh one thing we did was we created big cardboard cutouts with with them. Um, for for mm. our event, we created stickers. Uh, we created um, little badges with them. We created uh, temporary tattoos, so like people at our events would then, you know, stick them on themselves. Um, and that actually ended up leading to people getting real tattoos, uh, which is like another story. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> so we've got people. We've got about, I think it's ten people with real Ministry of Testing tattoos. On, wow, on, on
0: that's that's a great metric of success. Yeah. I think that's like how you know a community's real is number of real tattoos per total membership.
1: Exactly, and so when I was thinking of like moving on from of testing, I was like, I can't sell the company because these guys have got tattoos on them. So yeah, how how, right. how can I, you know, honestly, like within my heart, sell the company? Because that's always one option we have, right? Is that we can sell the company, or we can look for a way to keep it going independently. Right, but I, I I just couldn't bring myself to to sell it because of things like that. Like the love for the community was there, and if I sold it, it, it would kind of yeah. lose that lose that uh, kind of aspect to it. But you know, doing those kind of things, kind of you know, ha- having that focus that we always had these characters to dip into, um, like any any. Article or uh, talk that goes out, or any kind of promotional thing that we do for um, things, it always has one of those characters in it. So mm. it's like people people kind of go looking for it, and it it just creates like a like a opportunity to to have a bit of fun and to to focus on like the visual aspect of trying to com- communicate ideas visually is is important as well. Love that. And yeah, and it's you know it's a silly thing, but. You know, it's it's fun, and I think people appreciate fun. But you know, alongside of that, it's like we were very serious about what we were doing as well. It's like yes, we have these characters, but behind the characters is like great content, important content, or there's a new voice behind this content. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. So it's like, um, I think you know that had a big impact on it. And these days, I think even more so. It's it's it helps. You know, it's important to stand out. Um, and and these kind of things, I like invest in a bit of time in, into that kind of, I guess, branding aspect of it. I'm not a brand totally. brand expert at all, but uh, it really does kind of make a difference.
0: Yeah, I, was, uh, I would I would bet that like there's any you can find any industry that has a very like unsexy topic. And there's, there's an opportunity to build a community that has, like, a fun vibe uh, as, as like, a focus around that identity. Uh-huh. Because all those people, they're not just, like, we don't like having fun. Uh, like <laughs> they want to feel like the work they're doing is exciting. And they're probably, you know, they see it as exciting and they're geeking out about it. Yeah. Um, so I think there there are other examples of communities like that that, like, really try to build a fun brand around something that is traditionally more dry
1: there's an opportunity there. i think you know it's like people talk about like exploring uh, or creating uh, niche communities and i think as part of that is that you have to explore how how to how would you go about uh, making an impact in those communities and how would you go about uh, branding them and communicating things and standing out um i think you you, you know that um there's a lot of tools coming out um, for, oh for, my for community people. But, you know, it's not all about the tools. I, I, I would argue, like, the branding and the communication is even more important than than anything else.
0: Ah. <laughs> all right. Well, then this is a good segue into a conversation I definitely wanted to ask you about, which is, like, this whole debate around build versus buy versus build on existing platforms. Because so many communities now exist on Slack and Facebook and you know spaces where you can tap into that social network but there's no way to create that unique identity that unique feel that that really is what kind of sets communities apart yeah. um you you know you started on ning um with ministry of testing which i remember that i was part of 20 something bloggers that was the community <laughs> i was very active on on ning back in the day and then you moved to discourse right yeah. Um so out of the box you can customize a little bit but it looks pretty standard to you know other disc discourse forums and now you're working with Indie Hackers which was built from the ground up um and and completely custom made for the community uh and we're seeing all these I I think I'm discovering a new tool every day yeah. of someone who's like we are building the community platform of the future which is unreal to see because we spent the last 10 years basically being like, all right, like we're, you know, we have the same few tools that everyone can use. What, what's your take on, on this whole question of if I'm trying to build a community today, do I take the the path of least resistance and start a Facebook group? Do I purchase out of the box software? Uh, so I have more ownership and a little bit of customization, but it's still not really unique or do I just build from the ground up?
1: It's definitely really, really hard because, like, building from the ground up, you you need the technical skills or someone with the technical skills. Um, but like, I, you know, I, I'm a person that thinks about, is like, if I build a community, what would I build, and if if I did build it, what would I build it with? And I went expo- I spent months like exploring all the tools, and I created a list. And the list just kept getting longer and longer. And a few new tools have come out, and they look cool and they look interesting. Um, you know, like Circle is one of them. It looks looks interesting. Uh, a few people are using it. It work, It works well. But then I ask myself the question: Do I want to build a, a community in the future using Circle or any of these tools? Um, and the answer for me is is no. I don't because like for me it's like if I build a community I want to build something that's going to be sustainable in the future and I don't believe that I can do that if I'm tied into someone else's tool into someone else's UX um, experience into uh, having uh, potentially a a separate website a separate community separate logins um, all sorts of like ux nightmares that you know it ends up becoming like overwhelming for for the user um and like ministry testing they use discourse and it's been a struggle if i if i'm honest to say you know that you know in hindsight it's just like you know it's there there's activity and stuff but it's just like you know if 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 it could be custom built you know from you know if we had made that decision five years ago instead of using discourse just to rebuild uh community and like have it front and center as, as i refer to on the home page the the community would probably be more thriving or you know mm-hmm. but you know it's, it's it's hindsight and this is hindsight with with you know it's you know it's easy to go back and say say all of this stuff um and and then you know part of it is just like my my experience with indie hackers is uh you know, it's it's amazing to custom build every every part of it. You say you, you can um, often like uh, Courtland used to say to him, he's like you know I can build you anything you want. So like, <laughs> you know, sometimes I'd say I'm scared to ask for stuff. He's like, no, I, you know. At the end of the day, is that I could build anything he, you know, that I want. Um, it's not that he will; it's just that he could, and he he can, yeah, <laughs> I, and he he would evaluate whether it's like you know a priority sure. or not. But the the reality is, I say, Indie Hackers is lacking in loads of features. You know, it doesn't it doesn't right. have DMs as an example. It doesn't have bookmarking right. that people keep asking for, um, and there's this huge list of things that people keep asking for and that we could build and that we probably will build. Um, but right now, it's just like not, not uh, we don't have enough resources, I guess, at, at this point in time.
0: Um, you only have one Coraline. Yeah, one.
1: at the moment. So, and, you know, he's just doing what he can, and I'm doing what I can, and we make, we make do. Uh, but it works. We've built this, like, A really amazing community there um yeah but you know i I think you know from one aspect it's, it's kind of like well of course don't build something until you absolutely need it and you're like every you know things are gonna like start leaking or something it's like you should really avoid building features as much as possible and you should like allow the community to interact with what you build in bit by bit and get a feel for things and have have the opportunity to kind of experiment with features and potentially retract them, which is what what's happened mm-hmm. with indie Hackers. like Cortland's built stuff and then decided it was a mistake and and reverted them a few months later mm-hmm. so it's like um, you know b- building a community is very much like building a business um, you know it's the same kind of thing yet people. Will want to build a SaaS and custom build it. Yet when it comes to community, they say, they think, oh, let's find a tool for that. That's like the almost like the right auto, auto, automatic uh, response trigger in their head is a community. Let's find a tool, right? Um, instead of community, how can we embed it into into our our business culture or whatever our business is or whatever the business needs are. So yeah, that's,
0: that's, that's a challenge, I guess, in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because, you know, I I think people just think community and they do just start going through the list of all these features that you're going to need to have because, um, we've just gotten to the point now where people are used to using Facebook groups or certain forums or certain tools. And there's almost like a, an expectation, a baseline expectation of, well, it's going to have DMs, it's got to have moderation tools, it's got to have images that auto-populate, it's got to have all these things. Um, but I, I think, like, I appreciate your point that, that that that's an assumption that's not necessarily true, that you can build a product and keep it very simple and actually keep the features, uh, it's almost like constraints within which the community can can engage but if the community is real if the community is really invested they're going to figure out how to use the tool it's it's not the tool that's going to make the community yeah. and you you arrive at indie hackers and like it doesn't feel like a tool out of the box it, it's like this is indie hackers it's it's one community and it's designed for that community and you get the same feeling from like product hunts, um, same kind of thing yeah. like built yeah. specifically for the use case of that community
1: Dribble's probably another one. Um,
0: Dribble's a great one.
1: Behance and places like that, they, they all sit, you know, I, I don't really know the history of Behance, but I think that's probably cu- custom, yep. custom I think you know, so the too. whole experience. Yeah,
0: creative mornings.
1: Yeah. I and, so, and the more I think about it, it's like the best communities out there are, are you know, business-focused and custom-built, as they should be. Um, but it doesn't mean that there's not room for, like, tools. It's like you know there probably you know, there is right i think people just need to be more careful about you know it's you know it's not the tool that makes a community it's it's you know the people and and getting to know your people and understanding what they actually want and need um, and people are are not doing that when they start communities they think right. they, they get this idea and then say oh this would be great to have a community let's do it and then they set it up and then you know it's like an empty empty watering hole
0: yeah well i was gonna ask you because your your pin tweet right now is everyone wants to start a community very few of them want to put in the work uh is that kind of what you're getting at with that
1: yeah pretty much it's like you know especially now like in covid it's like um it's you know everyone's jumping onto community it's like um i i shared uh if you go to Exploding Topics, as you can search on uh, Exploding Topics is a website where you can check out trends, and they added a community building trend where you could see like the spike uh, of searches and stuff like that. So there's a big spike for community building since COVID uh, started, but it's just like you know everyone's kind of like seems to be jumping into it, and even like quickly building tools for it, and it's just like this is this is not what we need we, you know i think we need to be spending time with each other and just hanging out and talking and figuring out what the hell is going on um mm-hmm. rather than like clouding ourselves um with tools and then realizing that actually building community takes <laughs> it takes a lot of effort it's a full-time job at least or it can be it, you know obviously it depends how you approach it but um it's it's easy to I think people assume that, it's a, oh, let's just start a few conversations and have a bit of fun, and that's... nice. That's,
0: that's, right. um, and then it'll just take off from there. Yeah, yeah. What, what advice do you have for someone who's like, okay, uh, I have this uh, you know, group of people, this identity I want to gather, and I want to start building a community around it. How should they get started, and, and what kind of work are they, are they looking at ahead of them that they should be realistic about?
1: Yeah, I, I like to use the term, like, study your people. So go hang with your people, um, have real conversations with them, figure out what, what it is that they actually talk about without even saying that you're gonna, you have ideas or plans to build something. Uh, follow them, engage with them, read their blogs, share their blogs, You know, do things for each other. Um, and, and like part of this process is not only is there, is there a community there that you can serve, it's also is this a community you want to serve? So by, by spending time doing that, um, you you get a better better feel uh for whether that's something that you can see yourself doing for potentially the next five or ten years. Um right. or you can decide at that point, actually no, this this is boring. I don't enjoy this and I think I'll Get bored, in, you know, within a year of trying to build a community around this,
0: or you can build a thriving community and then get bored <laughs> and then hand it off. Potentially, <laughs> yeah. Just follow oh, the rosy yeah. roadmap. Who we'll do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I mean, it's the same kind of advice you hear a lot in startups in general where it's like if you're just building something because you see a uh, an opportunity to make money or to build a business but you're not actually passionate about that topic there's going to be a point where you hit really hard plateaus that you're just going to want to give up because you don't actually care and, and you're only doing it because you thought it was easy and i i think it's the same thing for community it's like you might have like a brief idea of you know there's a group of people who need to who could be gathered and like this could be really cool if it existed but if you don't genuinely care about the topic uh, it's going to be really hard to push through those phases where your community's not engaging or or not happy or you know it it just takes a lot of legwork to get engagement going in a new community.
1: And I also think like um, obviously like I think about a lot of stuff in the kind of business aspect and like in in the startup or indie hacking world, they talk a lot about like idea validation. It's like if you're going to build a business or a product or something, you have to validate the idea first. And I know, like in my heart, I, I always struggled with that. And then I was I was thinking about it this week because someone on indie hackers asked asked about I was like, what do you think about idea validation? And I just sat there and I thought about it and I was like well i 've never done that to be honest i 've never like followed the route that people recommend of speaking to your customers and you know pinning down yourself on on one specific idea and then it, it kind of came to me as that the way like i 've done it with communities is that I uh, validate a vision so say like, am I happy going forward and um, sticking to this vision that I have so like for software testing it was this vision of improving the software testing world and, and kind of being more fun and and, and making a change and, and I kept going with that and I felt happy obviously you know after a few years I kind of didn't want to do it anymore but at the time I felt happy like with, with what I was doing mm. that way by, by kind of following the vision it's like you don't pin yourself down to a specific idea that you know it's like the idea that might a product that might work for a while and then it all of a sudden is is not longer relevant. But as long as you still have the the vision going forward, you're kind of opening your mind constantly to opportunities that of things that you could do. Love that. So that that's kind of the the way I look at it now is like like my where I'm heading now is uh, with a vision of. I, I don't even know where I'm heading at, at the moment, to be honest. But um,
0: <laughs> it's, you know, it's very much... Do any of us know where we're heading? No. But
1: for, for me, it's like I'm very much focused on improving or doing something for the community world, community building world, and also like with an indie hacking perspective. But I don't know yet what that is. So I've got an open mind and I'm researching. and i'm I'm hanging out with my people, I'm creating a newsletter um I'm studying I, you know I'm trying to go as, as kind of deep as I can to to see what there is and I don't know what what the answer is yet, but um at the moment, I feel quite happy with that vision that I'm following of kind of doing something there.
0: I love it and well welcome <laughs> to the to the rabbit hole that is the community industry. Very, very happy to have your voice and, and your obsession <laughs> join, you. join mine. I've been going down that rabbit hole for many years now. Yeah. So happy to be a, an ally in your journey. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up with our rapid fire questions. Question one, favorite book?
1: Uh, At uh, the moment, it's Peter Block, uh, The c- uh, Community, ah. The Structure of Belonging. It's...
0: That's right. It's, Classic. Yeah, it's
1: quite deep as well, so it makes me think a lot. So,
0: At least, Love yeah. it. Great recommendation. Everyone who listens to this podcast should read that one. Okay, number two, who are your favorite community builders right now or, or a community builder that's that's really impressive to you? Uh,
1: to me, I, I, I think in my heart, I tend to go back to the people that first inspired me, which probably goes back to Tara Hunt
0: and Alex Hillman. Mm, love it two awesome people that inspired me very early in my career as well. So great recommendations. Okay. Number three, what's your go-to self-care activity? Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> what's that?
1: Uh, anytime I get, I, I have no guilt sleeping. I've got kids. So whenever I get the chance, I, just oh my goodness. Out, I feel tired. I just take a nap without.
0: I'm terrified because I'm a, I'm like a nine hours required sleeper, like less than nine hours. And I'm just not not quite where I need to be, and we're about to have our first kid, so uh, I, <laughs> we're gonna navigate that journey now. Good
1: luck. <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> you're like <laughs> one kid. <laughs> ha ha ha. Try five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and you homeschool your kids too, yeah. so you're you're really a glutton for punishment. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question four: What's one way quarantining has had a positive impact on your life?
1: struggle with this one because like my life hasn't changed too much because we homeschool. <laughs> you're um, already homeschool. Uh, and you know it's, it's not been that different, but I think positively is the change of mindset in the tech world um, and I'm kind of excited how the opportunities that are opening up and the new tech that is being built and just like where the world could go with tech. I think it's it's quite exciting. I've had a lot more conversations with people that I never would have had before covid. Like, people are making more of an intention to kind of hook up online and, and talk. And that's been kind of a really positive thing for me, especially because I rarely leave the house anyway. So, <laughs> you know, as, as a mother, not, as many mothers. Now have to talk to you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go anywhere. Love it. All right. Question five, the easiest one. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> If this was your last day on earth and you had to sum up all your life learnings into one Twitter length piece of advice that you'd share with the rest of the world, what would that advice be?
1: Oh, be kind. I always go back to kindness. Um, just be good, you know, be good and kind to people. Um, that's like, when I think of my kids, uh, that's all I want them to be, is to be good and kind to people and, um, mm.
0: Why is that your advice?
1: I believe I I've done good things just by being kind. I've always like had a mindset of giving more than I probably should. Um, but I think I just think the world needs it. Um, it's not you know we've become. I I guess like the as you study community more you realise like we're very individualistic people in in the modern world and we don't mm. we don't really. Connect as much as we should, um, so I guess it's more about connect, connecting, and you know, and, and kindness is part of that. But um I, mm. I think you know, I miss that. I I struggle with that every 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 day, even as a community person. I wish I was more connected and have the ability to contribute more to people um, online or even local to me.
0: Love that. Well, I think that's exactly why you are such a successful community builder. Um, And I'm grateful to have voices like yours in this space and, you know, to see people really speaking out about the importance of community and the value of community. I've been enjoying your newsletters and your tweets and everything you're creating. And I know you're just starting to scratch the surface there. So uh, lots more goodness to come. Thanks for all the work that you're doing.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Where can people go to find you and keep learning about you, find your newsletter?
1: Yeah, um, I'm Rosie Sherry on Twitter. Um, And you can find my newsletter on rosyland.substack.com or you can just go to
0: Rosie.land. Awesome. And you can all join the Indie Hackers community and see Rosie in action. Definitely. Building community there. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media.